If you get a group of ministers together and say, tell a baptism story, there are a million of them, and it's all great fun and amazing. I cannot tell you how many church members have sent me the little video of the pastor who's there and introducing this child who is about to be baptized, and all of a sudden you see this little guy in a cannonball, and he comes out and cannonballs his pastor in the baptistry. I mean, there are a million stories about baptism, and the church has them, and it's wonderful. I'm going to read out of the fourth gospel this morning, the story. All four gospels tell this story, and so this morning I'm reading out of John. Early on the first day of the week, while, I was, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. The other disciple, that's a code language for it's John, the one whom Jesus loved, he happens to throw in and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and, they, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head and lying with the linen wrappings but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, maybe it was foggy, maybe it was misty that morning. She couldn't quite see early in the morning. She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. That's the scene. 
Each of the Gospels tells the story somewhat differently, but it's all pretty much the basic structure of this story. And Easter begins with running feet and the sound of sandals slapping on the pavement as the running begins. This is a morning that's very, uh, very amazing. These well-worn paths that go all the way to the tomb. And the news of the empty tomb dawned sleepily upon the disciples as they were jolted awake with the news of the missing body. Can you imagine how that would, that would rage in the room that morning of waking them up? And it was Peter and John who get first credit for having arrived breathless at the tomb when in truth it was the women who were first. All four Gospels make plain this news that the tomb was empty, told by the women first. In Mark's Gospel, it's Mary Magdalene, or Mary of Magdala, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, who first heard the angel's announcement, he is risen, who then assigned them the task to go and tell the others. In Matthew's Gospel, there are only the two Marys. They're told to go tell the others, but as soon as they're going to do that, they ran into Jesus and fell down to worship him. In Luke's gospel, he puts a gaggle of women. He brings a whole bunch of women together uh, before John and the other men show up. They're there first. When the women report the good news to the men, the men disbelieve it. They write it off by saying, these, uh, these words seem to us an idle tale. They discount it. They refuse to hear it. And here in John's gospel, it's Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, who came alone. And when she found the empty tomb, she wept. And two angels showed up to comfort her and asked, why are you weeping? And Mary said the only thing that made any sense to her at all, they've taken away our, my Lord and I don't know where they've taken him. She was left with the only explanation that makes any sense at all. Dead bodies don't just disappear. Someone must have moved it. That's, that's her logic exploding in her brain, the only thought that she could have. But the mystery deepens because she turned around and there was Jesus standing there. Not saying anything just yet, just looking at her. In her grief, in the limiting light of dawn, it was still barely dawn, she mistook him for the gardener until he spoke her name. And then the unexpected was lifted, and she replied, Rabboni, which means my teacher or my dearest teacher, some would translate it. And Mary reached out to touch him, but he quickly said and warned her, Do not cling to me, for I am on my way to the Father. So Jesus told her to leave and go back and tell the disciples. To tell them that he had emerged from the tomb. She did what he asked with the first gospel message of the day, I have seen the Lord. That was her testimony to the guys, to the disciples. That was what she said, I have seen the Lord. And Mary was thus the first witness to the resurrection in Euripides in the fourth century had a play Hippolytus and he nicknamed her Apostola 
apostolorum, the apostle to the apostles. She's the one who delivered the news to the apostles that morning. They're known for being the ones who carried the gospel all over the world. She's the one who spoke to them. Christ is risen, she said. A few years ago, on a Palm Sunday, tornadoes ripped through northeast Georgia. Homes were lifted off their fountain, uh, the foundations, and pine forests were flattened. It was a terrible, terrible string of storms. And the news from Alabama was even worse, where workers pulled bodies out of the ruins of a Methodist church. They were there to worship. Even the pastor's family was struck by death, just like many of her parishioners. No one said it out loud, but it seemed like a very, very harsh betrayal on God's part. If anyone in the world should have been spared from this destruction, surely it was that group of believers who were there inside that church, gathered for worship on the Lord's Day, Palm Sunday. And the nightmare continued all through Holy Week. Survivors woke up screaming from nightmares in their sleep. Chainsaws roared throughout the day and into the the dusk, into the night, as they attempted to cut their way out of the destruction that had hit their community. Barbara Brown Taylor was an Episcopal minister in the area at the time, and she wrote this. "I I thought of that Methodist pastor when it came time to write the Easter sermon. I thought of everyone who had literally been scared to or by death. I thought of the Alabama mother burying her child, the church members burying their dreams of safety, everyone whose trust in God had been dealt a deadly blow that Palm Sunday morning. And I wondered, does this ruin Easter? Or is this what Easter is all about? Maybe Reverend Taylor is on to something. Maybe this is what Easter is all about. For Easter faith is not just about the niceness of the happy and the lovely who come together for the pageantry of the church's celebration of Jesus' victory over the grave. It's also about the kind of trust that is willing to meet us in the garden of our pain and our sorrow. Some of you are here this morning because for some reason you feel a need to be here. You're here. You're looking for what you might find on a day like this. Easter is the message that all things old and dead will be renewed by God whose power transcends life and death. That's what Easter is all about, that that hope, and we cling to that hope. A renewal takes place at the entrance of the grave where the stone has been rolled back because Jesus is the one risen from the grip of death. Bill Moyers has been making documentaries our whole lives, it seems like, and he did one on addiction. Wendy Walker tells her story of overcoming her soul-killing addiction to alcohol. Remarkably, today she is a, a counselor at Hazleton, an addiction recovery program in New York City. But two decades ago, her life was immersed inside a bottle. So deeply was she hooked on alcohol that she took a razor and cut from her ear to her chin on both sides in her addiction. 
And one day she was so desperate for a drink, she went to her friend Genevieve, an old friend, to ask if she could have a couple of bucks for a cheap bottle. And Genevieve said, I'll do that for you if you'll go to a meeting with me. And Wendy agreed. At that point, Wendy would have done anything to get the money, even saying to Genevieve, yes, I'll go. So she agreed. Genevieve told her that they would have to ride a city bus to get there. It was not in the neighborhood. And a wave of shame swept over Wendy as she began to realize about herself and about what was happening with her. Her hair was a matted mess. It hadn't been washed in weeks. And she wore the same threadbare clothes for days and weeks at a time, and she stunk. And she knew that when they got onto the, the bus that people all around her would be affected by this, and she felt nothing but shame. And she was convinced that Genevieve would not even sit by her, that she would pretend that she didn't know her. But that is not what happened, because Genevieve sat down with her in a two-seat, uh, I almost said a pew, it wasn't a pew, it was a, a bus seat. And Genevieve sat right down to, with her and talked with her as if they were old friends, which they were. And she treated her with dignity and respect, even in this disheveled condition. And in telling this story to Bill Moyers, she began to weep. She began, the tears began to flow down her, her scarred cheeks. And honesty is a terrible price to pay when your story is that painful. And you know already where they went. They went to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting where honesty and humility are the only requirements to receive support. Wendy realized then for the first time in the meeting of how helpless she was. Powerless became a new word in her vocabulary. She began to adopt that as a way to describe her condition. And she began to put her arms around the reality of her addiction. She learned that God was her higher power and her only hope. And she had to let go of everything else and cling to her new friends for support. Mostly, she learned to lean on God for her healing. And by, this, by now, she is overcoming her addiction and living a transformed life. This is why Moyers wanted to talk to her. She has something powerful to give back, and through her broken tears, she understands that she herself, even in this very sad tale about herself, she herself is a, a glimpse of hope for others. Don't you see it? Christ is risen. That's the proclamation of death and brokenness. And these are not the final words spoken about our lives. Jesus comes back to life so that we might come back to life as well. Wendy came to understand the truth of the resurrection. But it only came when, when Guinevere came and, and gave her an incarnational presence. The only way that she came to know God loved her was through this human messenger. Gerard Manley Hopkins, a 19th century poet, wrote about the wreck of the Deutschland. 
And he tells about the death of five nuns in a shipwreck at the mouth of the Thames in the winter of 1875. And in the last few verses of this moving poem, he turns the word Easter from a noun to a verb. This is what the poet can do with words. Let him Easter in us, Hopkins says. Be a dayspring to the dimness of us. Let him Easter in us. Maybe that's the key to unlocking the mystery of Christ's resurrection. The risen Lord wants to Easter in us this morning as a church, as believers, as followers in this community of Christ, so that the world can be transformed by this earliest confession. The poet is right, don't you know? The key to living Easter faith is to turn Easter from a noun to a verb. It's to begin to live out the spirit of Easter as an action, as a thing that we do. Easter is not a person, place, or thing, as we were taught in school. Easter is not something that's out there somewhere, but it's right here. It's in our thoughts. It's in our soul. Easter breaks open every time we, lived a renewed, we live a renewed life. Easter is there to animate us in the world. We can take Easter as an event out there and turn it into our response to life. And when we do that, we are living Easter. When we rise in the morning after sleeping death-like through the night, we rise to bind the wounds of the brokenhearted. We rise to raise our families in the love and hope of God. We rise to labor another day in Christ's service. We rise to bear another's burden. The darkness of night gives way to the breaking light of dawn, signaling yet another day of resurrection. Easter in us, O Lord, for your sake alone we pray. Easter in us today. Amen.